Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. We are so pleased you are with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. We come to you every week with a program that deals with issues involving caregiving and care recipients. We deal with medical issues, social issues, mental health issues, everything surrounding the whole world of caregiving. And we're delighted to have you all with us. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is on board. She's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Carol's the past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on the Aging She's been a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology with nearly 30 years experience in the field of aging or caregiving. And she was Next Avenue Top 50 Influencers on Aging in 2017, which almost feels like yesterday. So, Carol. Almost. 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 So, Carol, this is uh, the Heart Association's American Heart Month. And it turns out heart disease, heart attack, heart problems are still the leading cause of death in this country. It hasn't gone away for men, for women. You know, the more that we recognize issues around heart disease, the more we can do about it. And family caregivers really need to understand the risk for themselves and their loved one of the stress of any kind of chronic conditions. That's why I'm thrilled that Dr. Thompson is going to join us. Well, let me introduce Dr. Chris Thompson. Chris graduated from Notre Dame University where he earned his undergraduate degree and from the medical school at Georgetown University. Dr. Thompson spent 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. He's been a well-med cardiologist for a little more than 13 years, and I'm pleased to say that he is my cardiologist. And, uh, you know, I met him the way many people meet him, was having an issue with my heart, turned out to be uh, AFib, arterial fibrillation, and Dr. Thompson was there to hold my hand and get my ticker ticking again. So, Dr. Thompson, thanks for joining us. You are welcome. It's our pleasure to be here. And I guess that's the way you meet a lot of new patients when they're in some sort of stress. Yeah, usually, yeah. That's usually what brings you to the heart doctor. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to issues of the heart, this being American Heart Month, uh, as I was saying to Carol Zerniel, uh heart issues still are the leading cause of death in this country. Why is that? Well, I guess uh, it's a combination of factors that contribute to heart disease. And I will also say that Modern science and modern medicine have done a good job of eliminating some of the things that used to kill people. You know, we now have antibiotics where, you know, people are not dying of infectious causes like pneumonias. Um, infant mortality is much lower um, so that people live into their middle and older ages where heart disease becomes more prevalent. But uh, particularly a lot of the things that contribute to heart disease are lifestyle related. So they're very common in what we call the Western world, you know, where people are not active enough and they eat diets that tend to be unhealthy. And we have rates of smoking that are too high and um, a lot of bad habits and a lot of stress. You know, turn on your TV and see what happened today. And it's a stressful world we live in. 
What attracted you to cardiology? Well, this is a long story. I don't know if I've told you before, but I was started in college with an Air Force scholarship. I was going to study computers, but this was in the days before the Internet. So the computers back then, at least to me, were pretty boring. And I came home from summer uh, in the summer from college and my mother was an ER nurse. And I said, you know, this computer thing's kind of boring. She said, well, I've always wanted one of my sons to be a doctor. And I'm like, well, I could do that. She's like, if you do do it, you should become an interventional cardiologist. And I didn't even know what that was, but I think she knew my personality type. Um, it, it's a field where you can fix things like we did today. We put a stent in a, a patient's artery this morning and reopened the artery. And it's, it's kind of gratifying to be able to fix things. Um, but actually, I will tell you, as I've done this job longer and longer, I get less satisfaction out of fixing blocked artery, artery problems and more satisfaction out of hopefully helping people eat healthier, be more active, quit smoking. Um, I'll have patients that sometimes come back after I gave them the lecture and six months later, they've lost like 30 pounds. And I'll seriously tell them, you made my week because you, know, you lost that weight by exercise and diet and you're reducing your risk of all the different heart complications from AFib to heart disease, um, coronary artery disease, heart failure, all the sorts of problems. Well, Dr. Thompson, how would we know if we had blocked arteries? I, I met a gentleman a couple of weeks ago. He was an avid biker, uh, won a bunch of national and international championships, all dropped to the ground after a race last year and needed quadruple bypass surgery. And he was very active, had no he had no idea he had, you know, artery problems. How do we know? Well, I mean, I guess that does point out that it can happen to anybody. I mean, it's more likely if you have a family history of heart disease, if you smoke, if you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high cholesterol. But it occasionally, like 15% of the heart patients don't really have any of those typical risk factors. Um, and there may be no symptoms at all, no warning signs until you have an event. Fortunately, that's pretty unusual that somebody is just, you know, totally asymptomatic and then has a massive heart attack. But we certainly hear cases like that and it, it catches your attention. So one thing, of course, that people would love to have screening tests that, you know, will pick up all of these problems before they happen. One thing I like about being a heart doctor is there we are very much governed by research. And, uh, you know, everyone loves to talk about the science in with COVID and all the different beliefs about COVID. But in cardiology, they do randomized research trials comparing one strategy of testing versus another strategy of testing, sometimes versus no testing. And there really isn't recommendations from the American Heart or American College of Cardiology for testing people that are active and don't have any symptoms. Um, so usually we're waiting for you to have symptoms, which might be chest pain, might be chest tightness, might be shortness of breath. Um, of course, we want people to stay active. And if they're active, they're more likely to recognize those symptoms sooner. That would be one of the benefits of being active. Um, but there are some people that are active, have no symptoms, and the next day they're having a major cardiac event, and we're not very good at predicting that yet. Stay with me just a minute. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and our special guest today is well-met cardiologist, Dr. Christopher Thompson. He spent time in the U.S. Air Force and has uh, been with WellMed for a little over 13 years, and we're delighted to have him with us. We're talking in uh, honor of American Heart Month. Uh, and Dr. Thompson, 
Uh, go through, if you will, you touched on it briefly, uh, the symptoms of a heart attack and for the caregivers uh, who may be caring for someone, what should they look for uh, in anticipation of a heart attack? Yeah, well, first, I'll give you the classic symptoms. The classic symptoms is what you read about in a textbook, and that would be a pressure or tightness in the middle of your chest. Patients often describe it as feeling like somebody's sitting on them or an elephant standing on the chest and won't get off. And if it's a heart attack, they may also break out into kind of a cold sweat. They may be short of breath. The pain may go up to their neck, down their arm. Um, they may have a sense of what we call impending doom, like you almost kind of feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm dying here. Um, those sort of symptoms, you should call 911 and go to the emergency room right away. There are also a lot of symptoms that are not very classic and be, can be very confusing both to patients and caregivers and even to the doctors. You know, I, I have patients that go to the emergency room for, say, left arm pain or numbness. And, you know, sometimes we're testing them overnight in the hospital or sometimes several days in the hospital with all sorts of tests, trying to figure out what the symptom is, um, to try to figure out if it's heart-related or not. Um, you know, there's a lot of different causes for chest pains and arm pains and neck pains and shortness of breath uh, and sweating. But if you're having those symptoms, you should let your primary doctor know. Um, and then usually they look at what are those symptoms like and what are your risk factors for heart disease, uh, which we mentioned before, like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking and decide if you need additional testing. Um, but it, it can be very different in different people. They tend to say that women and diabetics don't always have that classic elephant sitting on my chest. It can be more of a sharp pain. Um, sometimes it's not even a pain in the chest. It's more the shoulder or the left arm, and occasionally even in the right chest, so not, not usually. Dr. Thompson, if I'm a caregiver and I have concerns with family history or any, you know, uh, lifestyle that might make my loved one or myself higher risk, should I have a home blood pressure cuff? Should I be monitoring my blood pressure on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, I I would say almost all adults should probably have, have a home blood pressure machine. Um, you know, so many of us are on blood pressure medications or other types of medications that might affect the pulse or the blood pressure. A common thing that I'll, I'll tell patients, if they're feeling weird at home, like something doesn't seem right, check your blood pressure, check your pulse. A lot of people now have the little oxygen clip that goes on your finger, the pulse ox. A lot of people got that during COVID because, you know, you started to feel sick and you wanted to know if your oxygen level was low or if you need to go to the emergency room. So those can be helpful to measure oxygen and pulse rate also. Certainly, if you're diabetic, you ought to have a way at home to check your glucose also, because sometimes it's a high or low blood sugar that's making you feel strange. So it's good to have access to all of those things, or at least to have somebody, maybe a neighbor or family member who's close by that you can say, hey, I don't feel right. We'll come check, check me out. Now, there are devices like uh, an Apple Watch, for example, which uh, can monitor uh, sort of a poor man's EKG uh, are, are those accurate? Or are there something that you would pay attention to? Yeah, th there's a number of new devices. The Apple Watch is surprisingly accurate of telling people if they have AFib. I mean, it's been studied in a, a pretty large trial out in California where they, you know, the Apple Watch was designed. I'm trying to remember, I think they had 400,000 patients, if I'm right. If I'm remembering off the top of my head. And it's pretty accurate. There's also a device I've seen on TV. I won't give the name of it. Um, just because I don't want to promote products, but 
you basically put your thumbs on two little silver pads and it will do a little EKG and it will tell you basically normal rhythm or abnormal rhythm. And that can be helpful. I'm not saying that people need to go buy that or not, but uh, that can be helpful. I, I usually tell patients, I tell patients if they feel like their pulse is doing something unusual, too fast or too slow, check your pulse rate either with the blood pressure machine or with that pulse ox thing on your finger. A normal pulse for most people is between 55 and 90, maybe as high as 100. But if you check your pulse at home and you're sitting at rest and it's you know, 110 or higher, you might be in some abnormal rhythm, AFib being the most common for people over 65. But there are other rhythms also. And, and then sometimes it's a slow heart rhythm, like under 50, where all of those we would want to do in EKG is our best test to tell for sure what's going on. All right, now stay and with us a minute. We're going to take a little break and come right back to you, and we'll pick up with uh, where we are. And I want to find out a little bit more about AFib. People hear about it, but they don't know what it is. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with cardiologist Dr. Chris Thompson. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. So it's National Heart Month, thanks to the American Heart Association. How's your ticker? I'm Ron Aaron on Caregiver SOS On Air with our co-host Carol Zerniel, talking with WellMed cardiologist Dr. Chris Thompson, and he's mentioned a couple of times AFib, uh, which, as I said at the beginning of the show, is something that I actually was diagnosed with, waiving all HIPAA protections. So, Dr. Thompson, for folks who don't know, what is AFib? Well, AFib, which stands for atrial fibrillation, um, and I'll also remind people, you can look all this stuff up online, and most of the things you find are pretty accurate, but it's basically a variation of the heart rhythm. The normal heart rhythm is nice and regular and steady with a pulse between like 55 and 90, like we were saying, but the AFib becomes irregular, which some of the devices will pick up, and also usually especially in younger people, maybe not so much in people over 75, but the heart will usually beat fast with the AFib. Um, and some people will notice the AFib and feel poorly. Some people don't notice it at all. I've frequently had patients come in the office just for a re- routine checkup, and I'll you know listen to their heart and be like, how long have you been in the AFib? And they're like, what are you talking about? And um, sometimes their pulse is going as fast as like 140 beats a minute, and they don't even, they can't even tell. That would be me. Um, so that's one of the benefits of that's one of the benefits of periodically checking your pulse and and knowing what the normal ranges are. Um, like I said, fifty five to ninety, maybe up to hundred would be normal for most people. Uh, just make, let me get the blood pressure range. A normal two numbers on the blood pressure: the systolic, which is the higher one, and the diastolic, the lower one. 
I actually tell my patients, don't worry too much about the diastolic. It goes up and down with the systolic, but the systolic usually should be generally over 100, but certainly over 90. And then usually le less than 140 is our goal if we're treating high blood pressure. But it can go up with a lot of things like pain, stress, worry, arguments, anything that stresses you out will make your blood pressure go up. So I'm usually telling people, you know, don't get too freaked out. It's a a little bit higher goal is certainly to keep it down but it's going to go high sometimes even if you don't have high blood pressure or even if you're well controlled on your meds so, so back to the afib the afib i like to tell people when you first find out you have an abnormal rhythm your first thought is how much longer am i going to live um because there's something wrong with my heart so the first thing that comes to our mind is like i'm going to die of this and afib as long as it's diagnosed and treated it's generally it can be a nuisance. Um, it can come and go. It can drive you crazy, but it's usually not life-threatening. It can cause problems by causing a stroke. So the vast majority of our patients end up going on blood thinners. There's a number of different choices now from Coumadin to Xarelto to Eliquis. So that's one thing that we like to get a good handle on. And then many people need to be on medication to slow it down. And then sometimes we put them on medication to try to keep it in the normal rhythm. Uh, but we have a lot of people that RNA fib for months, years on. And I like to tell my patients, my grandmother developed AFib in her 70s and she died a few years ago at 102 and she did not die of AFib. Um, so she had it for over 30 years and did quite well and was still walking with her walker at age 101 and feeling fine. Do people die of AFib? Not usually. Thank you. Um, like I said, you know, if you didn't take a blood thinner, you could have a major stroke, which, you know, sometimes that's worse than dying in my mind. But so I'm not saying there's no risk involved, but it's usually not fatal. And as you think about taking your blood pressure, uh, you recommend, as you said, having these devices at home. Uh, how do you know they're calibrated correctly? Well, I would say the technology is pretty good now. Most of the machines are pretty accurate, but you can certainly check it. The main thing we would recommend to patients is bringing it into your doctor's office. We'll check it with our machines on the wall that get checked by uh, biomedical engineers periodically once or twice a year. And we can check it with our machine and then check it with your machine and make sure that the readings are similar. Um, some of my patients, they, they really become a little bit over fixated on their blood pressure sometimes. And the blood pressure, it can vary widely even within a few hours or sometimes even within a few minutes, you know, it can be normal and then it can be high and then maybe it might be a little bit low uh, as medications kick in and as, you know, things happen to you. So um, I, I tell people it's a long-term something that we want to keep under control, but try not to let it ruin, rule your life. I have some patients where like if their blood pressure is not good, they're having a bad day. And I said, look, th there's so many reasons to have a bad day. I don't want your blood pressure to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of reasons to have a bad day. Well, well, Dr. Jackson, you hit on the question that I had, which was, oh, there was a, some article that went across the news media that said it's the up and down blood pressure that's dangerous. It, it's That's the problem is when it does go up and down. But I'm hearing you say maybe people are worrying about that more than they should. Well, I, yeah, I don't know that study. I mean, I would say we have people on different types of monitors in the hospital and out of the hospital. It varies quite a bit. Um, you know, it's people without high blood pressure, people with 
blood pressure that's normally well controlled with medication, any kind of major stress will make it shoot up pretty high. Now, you know, I get concerned. The medical community certainly gets concerned if it shoots up over 170 or 180. You know, if it gets as high as 200, you know, you, then you need to at least consider, do I need to go to the hospital? How am I feeling? Um, is there something I can take to bring this down? We certainly have doctors on call 24-7 with all the different clinics and with WellMed Cardiology. So if you weren't sure, should I do? Should I be worried about this blood pressure? You can call our numbers and say, hey, here's my blood pressure. Here's how I feel. And we can advise, like, hey, you know, take another medication, come to the ER, go to the after-hours clinic, um, make that decision together. Now, what are some of the other issues that uh, folks have with their hearts? What do you see in your practice? So as we talk about the highs and lows with blood pressure, diastolic, systolic, uh, and pulse, uh, Dr. Thompson, you were saying that uh, blood pressure can go up, it can go down, uh, but if you get above 170, 180, you really ought to worry. Yeah, I mean, I would say 170 is kind of a orange zone. And then if you're getting up to 180 or higher, certainly 200, that's definitely a, a higher danger zone. If you're getting that high, I would uh, consider calling your PCP's office um, for advice. Um, we have people on call 24-7, so they might, first they're going to ask you how you feel, and if you're having symptoms, they may send you to the emergency room to get checked out. If you're feeling okay, but the blood pressure is just high, they're going to want to know what medication you're on and possibly have you take an extra dose. Um, so it, it's good to know that we have people on call that you can reach out to to make a decision. Now, that's not true for every medical clinic across the country or around the world, folks listening to our podcast, but most people can get a hold of their PCP and their PCP's office. Yeah, yeah. As, as we think about, uh, we were talking about the various conditions that can affect the heart. Uh, I, I know you'd mentioned stroke. Uh, and, and some people end up uh, with, with problems with valves. Is that pretty common? If a heart valve goes bad, do they go bad? It's fairly common. There are there are some types that you're born with an abnormal valve. I'll uh, give my HIPAA disclosure. I actually have that condition, um, and I'm a year or two away from needing that fixed. But that those are fairly uncommon, probably certainly less than 1% of the population. A much more common problem that we're seeing over the last 10 years is as the American population ages and people get in over age 75 and 80, there's a rate of calcification or, or calcium buildup on the aortic valve uh, leading to narrowing of that valve. And uh, it's pretty common that that becomes severe at some point, uh, often in your 80 to 85 to 90 year old range. Um, and it's a cause of shortness of breath. It, it causes a fairly loud murmur. So it's usually something that the doctors will pick up before it's severe. Uh, but occasionally we have people come to the hospital for shortness of breath, find out that it's a valve problem that maybe nobody knew about before or maybe it developed rapidly. Yeah, Carol? so we, we only have a little bit of time, but I want, would like to ask the question. We also hear people have concern about COVID vaccine, COVID and the heart. What can you tell us about the relationship? Well, my partner, Dr. Molly, I would say is is a San Antonio expert on that. I will say, certainly in the early days, but but still now, uh, COVID is a very serious infection. I've seen a number of patients um, and patient family members that have died of COVID. So 
I do support people getting the vaccine. Um, I know there's a lot of concern about vaccine side effects and, you know, there's a lot of thing on the, things on the internet that you might consider conspiracy theories, but I have not personally seen anybody who's had a side effect from the vaccine. My wife maybe is the worst one that I've seen and she had a fever for 24 hours and felt pretty wiped out, but I have not seen any heart attacks caused by COVID vaccine. I have not seen any uh, pericarditis caused by COVID vaccine. Uh, there, That does exist. There's no numbers for that, but it's more in the younger people, younger males, and it's still like one in 10,000. It's, it's pretty rare. Um, so I do highly advise people get the COVID vaccines um, and not be too concerned about this, the cardiac effects of that. I have seen people in the hospital with COVID who then had heart problems because COVID you know, can be a very severe infection. It can bring on the atrial fibrillation we were talking about. Sometimes it can bring on a stroke. Sometimes it can cause a heart attack. Uh, so you certainly want to be careful. I really appreciate you being with us, Dr. Thompson. Uh, great advice, great information, and in honor of uh, American Heart Month, thank you so much, Dr. Chris Thompson. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.